0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad you're with us this morning. And we are going to jump into the series we've been in in Genesis chapters uh, 12 through 36 because the passage this morning is a fairly long passage. Uh, and, and it's a passage about a family the family of Isaac and Rebekah, their twin sons, Esau and Jacob. And it's a picture of a family living behind closed doors. Within the four walls of their own home, no one is looking. And what we're going to see is that what comes out when no one is looking in this family's home is a family full of dysfunction and sin. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as we read a long passage this morning. Genesis chapter 27, the scripture is on the screen. It's in your bulletin. There are Bibles in the pew. This is God's word to us this morning. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, "'Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die.'" Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, "'I heard your father speak to your brother Esau.'" Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for, uh, from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. "'Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him "'and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing.' "'His mother said to him, "'Let your curse be on me, my son. "'Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me.' "'So he went, and he took them, and brought them to his mother. "'And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. "'Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, "'which were with her in the house, "'and put them on Jacob, her younger son. "'And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands "'and on the smooth part of his neck.' And she put the delicious food and the bread which he had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord is blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not res- res- reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers, and I have given to him for servants with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. let's pray. Lord God, we need to hear from you this morning. And, uh, God, we need you to speak to us. So would you remove me, and would you, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, illumine our minds, inflame our hearts, change our lives, we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, way before there was ever TV and reality TV at that uh, shows like the real world, which showed the reality, if you've ever seen the real world, the reality of what it's like to live under one roof with a group, a group of people. This passage is a glimpse into the real world of a dysfunctional family who is living together. This is a picture of a family behind closed doors. And it's when the doors are closed and we think that no one is looking, that the true family comes out to play, right? right? Isn't it easy for families and for us to masquerade as having it together in public. But when the door shuts, all dysfunction breaks loose. I, I love this passage for two reasons. The first is that I think it gives hope for everyone in here. It gives hope for everyone, because if we're all honest, every one of us has broken, messed up, dysfunctional relationships within our families, immediately and extendedly, with our, within our friendships, within Uh, our neighborhoods with our neighbors. And you know why we have this dysfunction? Because everyone is and every family has broken, struggling sinners. You know what that means for Christ Central Church? We will have dysfunction, church, because I'm a part of it and because you're a part of it. So cheer up, right? We can all cheer up because we're not alone in our dysfunction and our sin. The second reason I love this passage is because. At first read, this passage can feel like a downer because it's a story of a family of four, right? A mother, a father, twin sons, and all four of them are adding to this dysfunction. All four of them are sinning. All four of them are villains in their own right. And here's why I love that. Because most of us have been taught to read the Bible by reading and looking for examples to follow as the primary way to read the Bible, right? We read about Abraham and we've been taught... To read and go be like Abraham. Or we read about Moses and you're taught be like Moses. Or you read about David and you think be like David. Well, we read this passage and there's nobody in this passage that we want to be like, right? And so I love it because it forces us to how to truly read the Bible. Now, hear me on this the Bible has. Examples to follow. But it is not primarily a book of examples to follow. It is primarily a book and a story about who our God is and what our God is doing in this world. And the good news is that God uses broken, dysfunctional, sinful people who acknowledge their brokenness, trusting in Him to then accomplish His purposes in this world. Those are the two reasons I love this passage and I love this story. There's four characters. All four are guilty, and I believe, if we're honest, we can see all uh, ourselves in all four in some way. And so what I want to do this morning is look at each person in this family dissecting their role within the dysfunction, pointing out each of their sins. But before I do, I I want us uh, to understand what they're fighting over. When my brother and I would fight when we were little, My mom and dad would come into the room, stop, 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 what are you fighting about, right? What are you fighting over? They wanted to understand, and so before we can understand everyone's role, we need to understand what they're fighting about, and they're fighting over a blessing. That's what they're fighting about, a blessing. Now, perhaps as you read this and the blessing came out from Isaac, you kind of wondered and thought, all that fighting over what kind of seemed like a wishful prayer, what's so important about this blessing that they're fighting over it? Well, some of you are counselors and therapists, and you know this. Words are much more powerful than we think. Amen. Right? One commentator wrote this on this passage. This narrative presumes that symbolic actions have genuine and abiding power and that spoken words, especially from a parent to a child, shape our human life. Words here are not a matter of indifference. Tim Keller says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words make or break my very soul. Don't you know that even offhanded comments throughout your years are still operating like a power in your life today? They're programming our self-image. Words have power to them, especially words of affirmation and approval or words of condemnation and rejection. They pass into us and they make us who we are. And so the blessing in Genesis chapter 27, first, is an accurate spiritual discernment of what God has made this person, who they are, a deep look into who the person really is. And secondly, and this is what I'm highlighting, is using powerful words to empower that person to be who they ought to become. So this family is fighting over having their father Isaac speak a blessing over a son, speaking into a son, empowering them to be who God has made them to be, to become who God has made them, to be used by God. And all four of them know that there's profound power in the blessing, and all four of them want the blessing. So let's look at each of these four family members and the sin that is operating in each of their lives. The first person that we're going to look at is Rebecca, the mother uh, and the sin that we see operating in Rebecca this, uh, in this passage is manipulation. Isaac's old. Isaac's blind. He calls Esau, the older son, to himself and tells Esau to take weapons, go hunt for some game, and prepare delicious food that Isaac might eat of it before he dies. And verse 5 tells us that Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau. And you can almost envision uh, Rebecca standing in the doorway, can't you? Kind of around the other side, she's hiding, but she's attentively listening in on the plans of her husband Isaac. And Rebecca hears the plans, and so she calls Jacob, who is verse eight, her son. If you can pick up. There's favoritism going on here, right? This is her son, and so she tells Jacob, "Obey my voice as I command you. Go bring two young goats so that I can prepare delicious food for your father, so that he will bless you." before he dies. Now Jacob's worried because Esau's hairy. He's worried Isaac will know that he's not Esau. He's, he's worried he's going to get cursed and not blessed. And so again, Rebekah pushing her agenda says in verse 13, let your curse be upon me, my son, only obey my voice. See, so Isaac wants to bless his son Esau, the oldest. Rebekah, She's not having any of that, right? This is her son Jacob, and he must receive the blessing. And so she puts the best garments of Esau on Jacob, skins of goats on Jacob's hands, and prepares delicious food to give to Isaac. And here's a moral of the story, a moral of the story. You just don't mess with a mother's son, right? Mother's going to protect her son, right, moms? I had many visions of Judy Mason jumping on people who were trying to do me harm and protecting me. You don't mess with a mother's son. This is her son, right? This is Rebecca's son. So Rebecca listens in. She overhears Isaac and Esau. And then she uses that information to manipulate Isaac so that Jacob would be blessed. Rachel and I watch, my wife Rachel and I watch a few TV shows together. One of the TV shows that we watch is Suits. Uh, It's about a law office in New York City, uh, their internal relationships and their cases. And one of the resounding themes uh, in this TV show that every lawyer talks about is that in order to win a case or to persuade someone in your favor, you must have leverage. The theme is leverage. They talk about having leverage all the time. Leverage is taking information about someone or something that you heard or was told to you, and then using it for your purposes and your ends. Mm -hmm. Leverage is taking information and using it for personal advantage. That's manipulation. Manipulation is using information and getting another person to do what you want them to do or get the outcome that you want. Rebecca knows outright what she's doing. She listens in on Isaac and Esau's conversation. She now has leverage. By the way, uh, listening in on other people, even accidentally, or maybe joining in on a conversation about other people, which is called gossip, is a way that we can subtly slip in to gaining leverage and manipulation. Our participation in that can be subtle for us, and for some of us it's downright purposeful when we do it. Rebecca uses this information. And she skillfully hits her husband's weak spots. <laughs> good food, <laughs> right? Many men's weak spots, good food, his appetite, right? He, and, and, and his love for Esau. So, so Isaac then will bless Jacob, right? That's manipulation. She's manipulating. And church, we have to be very aware of our attempts to control people, to leverage people. We need to be very aware that we all have outcomes that we want to see happen, things that we want to see accomplished, and we can skillfully manipulate. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it with a friend. You can do it with a co-worker. You can do it within the church. All right, That's Rebecca. Let's look secondly at Jacob. And the sin that we see operating in his life is deception. So Jacob is very clearly, he's, he's a this is his mother's son, right? He's, he's a mama's boy. He is a smooth skin, spending all of his time with his mom boy. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that he listens and does what his mom tells him to do. She tells him, to go put on Esau's clothes, goat skin uh, on his hands, take the food to Isaac. In verse 18, Jacob says, my father. And Isaac says, who are you, my son? And Jacob responds, I am Esau. Now eat and bless me. He straight up lies. He's a liar. Isaac, a little suspicious, tells Jacob, come near. And ask him, have you found success so quickly? And Jacob responds, because the Lord granted success. Did you pick up on that? Because the Lord granted success. Jacob uses the name of the Lord. He's not just a liar. He's a blasphemer. Isaac questions Jacob again. Jacob? And Jacob says, I am your son. And then he gives his father the game to eat, the wine to drink, and then he gives him a kiss. Jacob the deceiver, pretending to be Esau, will lie and blaspheme and offer the kiss of betrayal all to get what he wants. There's another TV show that I used to watch. would not necessarily recommend it for most of you. Uh, It's a TV show called Dexter, and Dexter works for the Miami Police Department as a blood specialist, Uh, and Dexter has this innate desire uh, to kill. And he uses this innate desire actually to to hunt down, to to track down other guilty murderers who are walking free. And the battle for Dexter is how can he hide his desire to kill? He calls his desire to kill his dark passenger, which I think is a good name for our sinful desires. Well, in season four, Dexter meets someone who he thinks could be his mentor, helping him learn how to hide the dark passenger. And it's Arthur Mitchell, played by John Lithgow. Arthur Mitchell is, is actually a killer, and the way he hides his dark passenger is by being an ideal citizen. Mitchell's a deacon at his church. He runs a nonprofit, building homes for the poor. He is a husband. He's a father of two children. He can play whatever role he needs to play all to hide who he really is. Mitchell's a prime example of being a chameleon. You know what a chameleon is, right? A chameleon's a lizard that changes color in order to blend into its environment. Mitchell plays the chameleon. Deacon when he needs to be the deacon. Nonprofit when he, when he needs to show that he's doing good in the community. Husband when he needs to show he's a family man. Whatever he needs to do to blend in so that he can hide his dark passenger to get... What he wants. Jacob pretends to be Esau. It's almost comical. Puts goat hair on himself, right? Puts on Esau's clothes. I'm sure he tries to talk like Esau, hiding who he is to get what he wants. It is easy for us to play the chameleon, to be one way around one group of people and then be another way around another group of people, to, to be one way around one person and then be another way around another person and we play the chameleon hiding who we really are trying as hard as we can to hide our sin scared people are going to find us out and if we do this well then we might just get what we're after and what we're after can be a myriad of things could be just someone to like me acceptance approval you may play the chameleon and be who you need to be to get love maybe it's to get a job Maybe it's to get respect. It could be just to get a laugh. Or it could be to get power. This is deception. Let's look at the third member, Isaac. And the sin that we see operating in Isaac is defiance. So manipulation, deception, now defiance. Isaac, he's the aging, blind father. Loves and favors the oldest son, Esau. But one thing we need to know As earlier in Genesis chapter 25, the twins are born, Esau and uh, Jacob are born, and God declares in Genesis 25 that the older will serve the youngest, which means Esau will serve Jacob. But Isaac wants to bless Esau. He wants to go against what God has said. Why? Because Esau can provide tasty game. Delicious game. I don't know if you picked up. That's a repeated phrase throughout this passage. Delicious game. Isaac calls Esau my son because Isaac is motivated by his appetite. And Esau can satisfy his appetite. And Isaac defies the Lord. Was to bless Jacob, but instead he wants to bless Esau because Esau meets his needs and desires. When I was growing up, and I wanted to be defiant in my house, I would retreat to my bedroom so that nobody would see me, right? My parents wouldn't know. No one would know. Isaac is in the back bedroom of their house. He's not in the living room for all all to see. He's in the back bedroom, cunning and deceitful, doing what he knows is wrong, but is overcome by his appetite and impulse. So he defies God. H. Jackson Brown said, our character is what we do when no one is looking. It's what we do when no one's looking. That's convicting, because it's easy to come to church on a Sunday morning, sing some songs and say hello to people, or go to Citigroup or go to socials, and we look like we have it together, but the question is, who are you when no one is looking? Who are you in the back bedroom all alone? How are you being driven by your desires and by your appetite? Let me give you three areas of your life to examine in regards to our desires and our appetite. Could be much more than this, but these are three good ones money, sex, and power. Money. Do you think a lot about money? Are you constantly seeking more money? How do you spend your money? How do you give away your money? And you notice in those questions, they could be, they ring true for the poor and the wealthy how do you approach your money? Sex. If you're married, what's sex in your marriage like? Do you think your, your spouse is mainly there for your sexual gratification? Do you withhold sex from your spouse as a tool to control? If you're single or married, do you allow lust to lead you to gratify your sexual desires? If you're married or single, do you use your sexuality to get what you want. Again, I hope you see in those questions, single or married, sex applies to us all. The third power, are you seeking to always be in control? What do you do when you're out of control? Can you follow or do you always have to lead? Can you listen or do you always have to speak? Money, sex, and power, good things to examine how we're being driven by our appetites and desires, and they can be strong. And they can often lead us into the back bedroom, isolated, and there we find ourselves being defiant towards the Lord. The last family member is Esau. And the sin that we see operating in Esau is false repentance. False repentance. Esau comes back from hunting game in verse 31, says, let my father arise, eat some game and bless me. And Isaac said, who are you? He said, I'm your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembles violently and he said, well, who brought me game? And Esau heard the word, verse 34, cried out Esau with exceedingly great and bitter cry. He cried out, bless me, bless me. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? It's easy to read the story and see the tears and the cries of Esau and you feel sorry for him. And maybe you're thinking, it sure seems like Esau's the victim here. Daniel, I thought you said they're they're only villains, no victims. Well, we need to know that this dealing with Esau is in continuation with Esau's previous actions. In chapter 25, Esau sells his birthright to Jacob because he was hungry. He's also driven by his appetite, father, son. At the end of chapter 26, Esau marries two Hittite women. Women who were outside the people of God, he knew he shouldn't do it. He did it anyway. And now he doesn't get the blessing, so he weeps. and He cries with bitterness. Listen, Esau never showed signs of seeking God. Instead, his tears are tears of sorrow because he did not get the blessing. Not tears of sinning against God. And Esau's tears aren't enough. I can remember multiple times in my growing up with my older brother. I would be the instigator in a fight. Uh, I, I would run into my brother's room. He'd be on the phone. I'd hit him. I'd throw something at him. And my brother's seven years older than me. All that he needed to do was hit me once and the fight was over. But as soon as he hit me, I'd go run into my parents crying, uh, thinking uh, that I, if I showed them I was hurt, my tears, that they would know he, you know, he would get punished, I wouldn't. And I thought that if I could outcry my brother, then I would win the heart of my parents. So in our relationship with God, tears are not always enough. I've already stated this, but most of us are good at masquerading and playing the chameleon. And many of us who have been Christians for a while now are really good at playing the contrition game. Appearing sorrowful over sin toward God or sin toward others, when in reality... We're just sorrowful over being found out and not getting the blessing. I can't remember who I heard this from, but I'm sure I heard it from a professor or another pastor. All preachers hear things from other preachers, by the way. Uh, that I heard this, that all four family members here, they're sinning against one another, sinning against God, and all four actually receive the consequences of their sin. Sin finds us out, by the way. If you think you can sin and have no consequences... We're fooling ourselves. You're fooling yourself. Sin will find us out. And all four of these family members receive the consequences of their sin. Rebekah, after this section in Genesis, is not mentioned, mentioned again in the book of Genesis. Jacob, he'll flee to Haran in fear of being killed by Esau. And Jacob, the deceiver, will get deceived by Laban. Isaac, after this section, is only mentioned again in Genesis at his death. Esau gets a curse, not a blessing. This is our patriarchal family. (laughs) This is our heritage. A family of four sinners, dysfunctional, a family who, when the door is shut, all sin comes out. Who are you when the door is closed? The manipulator? The deceiver? The defiant one? The false repenter? It is hard not to read this story and get convicted. Because the truth is, we all are sinners. We all are contributors to this dysfunctional community. Do you know what will bring beauty and love and grace into a dysfunctional community? True repentance. True repentance. A genuine brokenness over our sin towards God and our sin towards others. And in this story, none of these characters repent. Repent. of them repent romans chapter 2 verse 4 says god's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance and maybe you go okay daniel where is god's kindness here I i thought you said they all received the consequences of their sin where's the kindness here's the kindness it is seen that in the midst of this tragedy and this is tragic and in the midst of this sin In the midst of this dysfunction, God's purposes still prevail. God's purposes still prevail. Hear that, church. God's purposes will prevail in the midst of your tragedies and in the midst of your sin because a Redeemer will come from this messed up family in Genesis chapter 27. A son of Jacob will come to redeem the whole world. And Jesus redeems our tragedies. And Jesus forgives and he heals our sins. And he welcomes broken people into his family. I'm not sure if you've ever paid attention and read Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. It's a genealogy of dysfunction. (laughs) It's made up of messed up, manipulating, lying, blaspheming, defiant, false repenting people. That's Jesus' family. Jesus, the son of Jacob, Jesus, the firstborn son of God, dressed in clothes not his own, wore a robe in which he got mocked, took the path not to steal the blessing, but to take upon himself the curse. Jesus, who uttered the very words of Rebekah, let the curse be on me. What a great reversal that the only one without sin would take the curse on himself so that you and I, by faith in him, could receive the blessing of God. Jesus, the faithful son of Jacob, would live perfectly and then, by one of his closest friends and followers, be betrayed with a kiss, handed over to the Roman soldiers, where there would be no shedding of goat's blood, but the shedding of his own blood. And in that shedding, we are offered our eldest brother's clothing. His fine garments of forgiveness and righteousness. The garments of salvation freely given to all who will believe. In Christ, we have received every spiritual blessing. And it's when we see the kindness of God in this. The grace offered to us in Jesus. Those who are the chief sinners. When we see that, that this grace then makes us the chief repenters. Repenting towards God and towards others. And it's in repentance that we will experience and know his redemption. And we'll be transformed from a dysfunctional family into a family of love and grace and beauty and harmony. So, church, let's look to Jesus. We have received the blessing. His love and His grace and His mercy should shape and mold us and empower us to be who God has called us to be. We have been blessed. May doxology well up within our hearts daily and cause us to sing daily. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would Help us to be honest about our sin. And in our sin, help us to rejoice (laughs) that your purposes still prevail, that you, Jesus, came on our behalf and we have received every blessing in Christ if we but believe. Renew and strengthen our faith yet again this morning if we've never believed. May we believe for the first time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, every week we come to this table, and it's an invitation. Uh, And it's a table that is offered to the broken, and the poor, and the needy, the outcast, and the sinful. Not the put-together, not the self-righteous, not the self-dependent. This is a meal for those who know they sin, know they stumble, therefore know they need Jesus. The Lord welcomes a dysfunctional family this morning to eat the bread and to drink the wine and to experience God's kindness. His body broken, His blood shed for you and for me. And I pray that it would lead us all this morning to repentance, that we would turn our face unto the Lord and that you would allow His love and mercy and grace to be your self-image your definition, and your hope yet again this morning. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope you know that we are so glad you're here. We hope you keep coming back. We hope you don't have to pretend to be a Christian if you're not. And if that's where you are, uh, there are two ways you can participate this morning. You can come forward and make this motion, and we'd love to say a prayer for you, or you're welcome just to remain in in the pew and think about what's been said this morning. Uh, But this is a meal for those who trust Jesus. For those who identify with Christ and know that Jesus is your friend, and he's your savior, and he's your Lord, and you want to follow him. This is not a meal for Christ's central church only. This is the Lord Jesus's table, and he welcomes all who trust him. The ushers are going to let you out row by row, uh, so don't feel rushed. If you have children that are in nursery or in children's church, you can go get them come down as a family. We would love to say a prayer of blessing for your children. If they're not of the age of having uh, professed faith in Christ, we would love to pray for them. Uh, And uh, the ushers, again, will let you out row by row. There is red wine, white grape juice. Uh, There's gluten-free bread as well. And I'm going to pray. And those who are serving, you can come down as I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that your kindness is on display and experience this morning, not just in the prayers and the songs and in the word that was just preached, but it is on display this morning also at this table as we taste the bread and, the, and drink the wine and as we see a community come, come down and come forward together, knowing that we're all struggling and we all need Jesus. Lord, give us hope yet again as we repent. Give us Yet again, a true understanding of who we are in Christ. We are not primarily sinners. We are primarily saints in Jesus. Broken, yes, but redeemed. And so would you plant that deep within our hearts as we experience you in this meal together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it. And He said, this is my body broken for you, eat in remembrance of me. In the same manner he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for you, drink in remembrance of me. These are the gifts of God for the people of God, come and feast.